Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lockes. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We are, Jason and I, are in the presence of greatness tonight. We've got Peter Ismert on the show. Peter, you'll remember us talking about uh, our trip to Yellowstone. When Jason and I were up in Yellowstone and Peter and his wife came and joined us for dinner in the cabin. Uh, and he got some fantastic wolf interactions, I think, the following day, actually. Or, yeah, uh, I think so. Pretty close to it. And then, you know, we kind of hit and missed each other for the remainder of the Yellowstone trip. But Peter's a photographer that we see all over the place. You could be in Jackson. You could be in Colorado. You could be, obviously, Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Africa. You mm-hmm. might you might catch Peter anywhere. But, uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for ha- having me, Ron and Jason. It's, it's, gonna be, it's great to be on here after listening to all your shows these last few years it's fun to be on one yeah and it's fun to have you know there's a there's so many great photographers that listen to the show and we just don't get a chance to talk to everyone so it's a it's a pleasure for us to have you on as well what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do obviously we'll we'll visit with peter a little bit about his background but what we're going to do is do a couple behind the shots Uh, peter's got he got so i i have some decent mountain goat images but the one that you shot here what a week and a half ago yeah about a week and a half ago (laughs) that that is one that somebody would sit down for a few days and create in photoshop if you didn't get the chance to shoot it and and so we're going to talk about that shot a little bit and then there's another there's another image that we're going to discuss but i'm going to save that for a little bit later because uh there's some pretty serious accolades that come along with that one now. But Peter, just to get us started, let's just break the ice. You've been all over the place. You've done just about everything a person could possibly do. What is your favorite ever outdoor experience? Oh my gosh. You can ask me for that one again. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, I think it was probably, um, we have been around quite a bit and I'm thinking a little more recent one, maybe last, um, not this, just this past August, but August, 2021, we went to, um, Botswana, um, in the Okavango Delta. And, uh, we had a, a 10 day trip there, three different lodges. And, um, we had been to Botswana several years prior, but, uh, didn't spend a whole lot of time in this area, or at least not as much time as we did um, on this trip um, in 2021. So um, the most memorable thing that I probably can remember and that still sticks with me is um, the first sighting of that trip of the wild dogs and then puppies coming out of the, of the den. And so um, uh, guides there know where what the habits of the wild dogs are and taught us a lot of things about the wild dogs and so um, they know where they live and they move their dens um, for various reasons and so our guides knew where the current den was and uh, sure enough they 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 take us over to the den they keep us pretty far fairly far away just because it's a um, you know a, a den situation you don't want to disturb the the wild dogs and sure enough, um, there was nothing happening. And then the parents came back um, because they were just out on a hunt. So the parents and the whole the adult part of the pack came back and the puppies just came charging out of that den hole, just looking for food. And um, they were getting it from the parents and from all the, all, all the other wild dogs. And it was pretty wild scene. Um, since we were back a little bit, it was easy to um, capture the whole site and the whole den area and the mound and all that. Um, so, and then we just let the, let the wild dogs do their natural thing of taking care of their puppies, running around, the puppies start playing. Um, we're getting lots of shots um, of the adults coming and going and just that whole situation. So we didn't think we'd ever in our entire lives ever see something like that and then much less see it again. 
but it happened two or three times on that trip at different uh, sites because the wild dogs are, you know, they're, they're doing better there in, in the, um, the Okavango Delta is what I've heard. They they're still have a hard time, but they're, um, they're expanding a little bit, or at least from our opinion, what we saw in talking with the guides. And so at our other camps where we stayed, they also had some other uh, packs, wild dog packs that uh, we, uh, we would, um, do kind of similar sort of thing and then a lot of times we catch them out uh, hunting and that sort of thing but seeing them puppies coming out of the um out of the dens was really special yeah i know jason had some good interactions with the wild dogs on his trip to africa and it's not something that everybody gets to do now you've been there several times yeah how many of those trips have you had the opportunity to spend time with the wild dogs. We also saw um, wild dogs in, uh, in Zambia. We've been to South Luanga National Park uh, three times now and I've seen them there I think every single time because they have a couple good, um, uh, good packs of wild dogs or as, as we call them nowadays is painted wolves which is sort of the, the newer term for, for wild dogs or there's other different combinations of that. But the painted wolves down there um, we, we saw them all three times there as well. Not, not in a den site though, as when we were there, but we would see them hunting. Um, when I went down, I went to Zambia last, was it May? <laughs> I don't yeah, no, that's just this past year, this last May. And we saw them hunting across a riverbed and things like that. So it was pretty, um, pretty neat to see those there as well. So we have been pretty lucky with wild dogs, but that one trip to, um, to, uh, to the Okavango Delta, we saw them with on, on the den with all the puppies. That was pretty special. Yeah, those wild dogs are pretty amazing. I, I every time I go and look and do more research, you know how it is, right? You just get you finally get to photograph a new animal, and going to Africa, everything was new. So it kind of drove me to start doing a bunch of different research and looking up things and trying to learn some things. And you get a kind of a big mix of uh, information on the wild dogs or you know the painted wolves. Um, you kind of hear different there's a there's a broad range of number of what you are told is out there you know which is interesting to me you'd think that they'd probably have it a little bit more nailed down than that but the other thing i noticed is i didn't see you know here in the states we do a lot of collaring animals and watching their behaviors and doing that stuff and i didn't notice a lot of that i mean i know there's some of that going on but i don't think i saw a single animal that had a collar on it when i was over there Really? Yeah, we saw some, it seemed like it was usually the um, alpha male or female that was collared, if not both. Um, but you're yeah. right, not always, but not always. Um, hmm. But uh, but yeah, I think in just recent years, when you do read, read the literature on them, they are, you'll hear about a certain uh, pack of them will split off and they're starting to retake new territories, like in um, Zimbabwe, I believe, and then... Uh, uh, moving around down there where they're where they're tracking them and they can track them down there and they're so they're in some places they're they're starting to um, come back a little bit i think i mean they've got a long ways to go because they used to be all over southern africa and everywhere there so and they're mm-hmm. still just in these slivers of areas left but um if if the group's down there and and everyone keeps going the way they are maybe we'll see some further increases and uh re- start reestablishing some even some more packs here and there they remind me a little bit of swift fox i mean obviously they're much larger much they hunt in packs so they're different in that way but i would imagine and i know you've got some some swift fox down around you i would imagine that the interactions with the young were were pretty similar to that they kind of play hunt all the time yeah, tripping each other good, and mm-hmm. that's a good comparison yeah that's that's a that's a good comparison when you compare them to the fox, especially the swift fox, and how they interact and their emotions and things like that as they're running around, as the parents are coming and going and feeding. It's all it's yeah, it's probably similar, yeah, similar in, in the way that's done. And I know you know the ecology or not the ecology, but the conservation of the swift fox is kind of say, taking a similar path too. They really had to make a concerted effort to increase the number in Wyoming. And now we're at a point where they're coming to Wyoming to transplant them back into other parts of their native range. And I know, you know, wild dog is similar. I don't know if they do any transplant down there or if they just kind of let them migrate naturally. 
I think it's a little of both. They have um, groups that will do some transplants um, that get dogs that are abandoned or something like that that are in trouble and they bring them back to health, I believe. And some groups actually nurse them back to where they can be released to the wild into a new location. I don't know the specifics on that, but I remember mm -hmm. seeing a few articles and talking to some of my guides that say that that's going on down there. So a little of both is happening, I believe. That's interesting. Modern yeah. conservation does some crazy things. There's some yeah. incredible successes. Yeah, so. right, right. Real quick, you know, it's funny. There's a few pages out there that I, you know, I follow. And, you know, I've been following Peter's page for quite a while. And I think we first met, I think, in Tetons a couple years back, maybe just a, a year and a half ago or something, I think, is when we finally got to meet. Um, but this is this is a, there's a few pages like this out there but this is one of those pages where i see it and i'm just blown away by the quality of the work <laughs> and i'm baffled at how you only have like 2500 followers <laughs> well thanks jason <laughs> I, I just honestly don't understand it i am just your work's incredible you have a very artistic eye you're you know just there's so much to compliment here you actually 100% motivate me and inspire me. Um, I love the, you're not afraid to try new things, you know, the motion blur, uh, you know, with any kind of animal. I just, I don't know. You've got a really good eye. And for anybody that's listening, you, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by not going out and checking <laughs> Peter's workout. So. Well, thanks Jason. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah. It's, it's Absolutely. fun to, curate my uh, my page there and i don't push it like like i probably could um just don't probably have time i don't do hash put in hashtags or seek out other things and um so it uh it stays sort of relatively small but it's organic because i think all the people that are on that page are people that want to follow me so I, I i appreciate that and so and i i follow a fair amount of people myself so i see a lot of work out there as well and that's for sure fun to see inspirational yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, Ron. I just had to get that out. No, that kind of leads that leads directly into what I was going to ask. So, when and how did you get your start in wildlife photography? Because that's not your profession, correct? Correct. That's not my profession. Yeah, um, I sell prints here and there once in a while, but um, since I don't have to make a living off it, I'm not pushing it out there, and just don't have the time and kind of do it as an artist but when i retire maybe i'll move more into uh um doing it for uh for a little bit more of a profession at least i'll have a little more time so in doing that um but i got my start in wildlife photography you know not horribly long ago maybe eight years ago or so um that's kind of when i picked up a camera again after leaving it laying down for a while and um Prior to that, I was strictly a landscape and even uh, close-ups of like flower photography and stuff like that. So I was strictly, mm -hmm. strictly landscape since probably the mid to late 80s is when I first picked up camera and started doing landscape work. Um, and then in the 90s, in the 2000s, I switched to black and white landscape. And so I, um, it was probably more in the, in the, yeah, the late 90s, 2000s. I was doing a lot of black and white landscapes, had a medium format camera, kind of learned um, what makes a good landscape image um, compositionally and tonality and all that. So I really got accustomed to looking for that out in the field. And um, uh, so I did a lot of that. Had, I, took, I took formal classes in black and white photography um, uh, for a couple of years and then, uh, built my own dark room, like which what a lot of people did in their basement. So I had that going on and, uh, spent a lot of time in there. And then, um, I put the camera down for a few years. Um, and then the, my first safari back, my first intro back into photography and at the same time, wildlife photography was a safari that we did with our family in Kenya in 2012. So that's, and then I, I had like a, a base model digital camera. And so that was around the time when, you know, digital was starting to get better and I wasn't using film anymore and I hadn't been taking pictures. So since 2012, that really got me hooked. It's like, wow. <laughs> and I didn't have a very long lens, um, but for Kenya, you don't really need a super long lens. You can get away with a 300 if that's all you have um, for large animals and things. So, um, 
and I hardly even knew how to work the digital camera, just kind of winging it and using my old, as, as my model, the film cameras as my basis for how to take pictures and uh, mm-hmm. didn't realize the capabilities of digital at the time. So ever since then, I've slowly built up my digital kit and move strictly much more into wildlife. I still don't shy away from doing uh, um, landscape photos for sure. And uh, even the last few years, I've gotten a lot of the Milky Way photos as well. So um, I kind of, I'm still like that. So I'm, but my main thing these days for the last, since 2012, maybe since, uh, yeah, since 2010 or so at least, or 2015 or so is strictly uh, wildlife. So that's pretty much what I'm after these days, but I'm not afraid to get some landscapes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, one of your, one of your, uh, Milky way shots pops up on my feed. And I, you know, that's, it's something that being in Wyoming, it's really dark yeah. here. So it's you got in it. the spring, <laughs> in the spring, that's a, it's a great thing to do, you know, before wildlife breeding seasons kick off and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, kind it's of great. Fun. Yeah, we have a second place, a, a cabin down in the San Luis Valley, Crestone, Colorado. So it's it's uh, now it's an international dark sky designated area because a lot of Colorado has a lot of people. So it's not as many dark places as you have in Wyoming. But uh, we do have some dark places and it's just north of the Great Sand Dunes. So I'll, I'll go down there and do Milky Way pictures at the Great Sand Dunes. Um, in the middle of the night and wake up and if I'm still there, I'll get the sunrise shots and, or the sunset shots if I go early. So that's really a great place to go. It's not too far from our place. And, uh, so it's, um, mix it up a little bit down in the San Luis Valley and there's some wildlife down there too. That's pretty decent. So get some of that as well. There's a little sanctuary down there. Wildlife, I, I guess, a refuge. I think that it is run by the state. If I'm, if I'm in the right spot, and yes, it would there's be one across the like across northwest the of the sand dunes. Yeah, correct. Right, right off yep. the highway, right? Yep, that there is a good one over there. I that's one of my little spots I go to <laughs> for uh, it, for a lot of bird bird photography over there. <laughs> yeah, when I was driving down to meet Jason, actually, I kind of put a pin in that one because it's it looks like a spot I probably should revisit. Um, yeah, there's some pretty um, good wetlands, and I was really surprised because you're in the middle of that valley. So you're a long ways from the mountains, but there was elk right out there in the middle of the, yeah, you know, the agricultural fields and, and right on the border of this little state sanctuary. Yeah. That's so a neat it's little definitely spot. A spot. I'm going to, yeah. Yep. Next, definitely next time you're going go through, it's down there. worth checking out as you're going through just to see what it's about. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, we've got a little bit of background. You have, kind of that landscape photographer's eye, not only with your composition, but also with light. I, I think, or, or I see that in a lot of your images. And I, I first want to talk about this mountain goat image because <laughs> there's a, a guy that I know that I would like to know better, um, that I highly respect Jeff Venuga from Dubois, Wyoming. And Jeff commented on it, and I was like, holy smokes. I, did, I hadn't seen his comment yet, <laughs> but I saw that image popped up. I was like, holy cow, who shot that? And I looked up and <laughs> was not surprised to see that it was you. But kind of talk us through, and you'll go back through Peter's feed on Instagram, and we'll give that to you at the end of the show, his uh, Instagram handle. But you go back through his feed, and you're going to know the shot when when you see it. There's no doubt it kind of stops you in your tracks for a minute, but kind of talk through how that shot came about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. In my Instagram feed there, there's, there's several goat shots in there and you'll see, um, that sort of was my thing this late summer. Um, these mountain goats that are, um, just basically Colorado's front range, which runs from Fort Collins down to Colorado Springs, Pueblo, um, so the front range has several places high up in the mountains that have mountain goats. Um, and, uh, the ones I go to are fairly accessible, you know, not too far, you know, an hour and a half from Denver or so. Um, so it's, uh, it's something that I was able to get up and see and do this, this uh, late summer. And, um, I went up a little more often than I normally do because I kind of started figuring out how the goats behave 
and when good times to get good pictures of them, how to, how to how approach them and uh, still let them be natural and do all of the things and, um, and just be goats and uh, where, where they tend to go um, during the certain times of the day. So um, after I've been going up there for years too. And so I kind of knew at least generally how the goats behave up there. Um, so I started switching it up a little bit this late summer and normally I would go up in the mornings, go in the mornings and get the, the sunrise shot. Um, but it sort of seemed like I was noticing I was a lot of times you'd go there and the goats weren't ready yet. They're still laying down somewhere or they're just not moving yet right at sunrise. And so when the sun comes up, then they start moving. And by then you've missed the sunrise. Um, but it's not all lost because you can still get a lot of good shots of the morning and good light. And if there's clouds, you get some uh, neat black and white images of goats of sort of the white on a dark cloud, dark mountain, those sorts of things. Um, so, but then I started figuring out, I was up there one evening that, boy, they stay on nice, calm evenings where there's just a few floating clouds left and there's no threat of storm. Um, the goats kind of hang out longer on the hill slopes feeding. Um, when it's dark and stormy, which I've been up there on and lightning's been buzzing around and it's, it's fairly scary for everybody, the goats are gone way before the people are gone. So it's, the goats are, um, no, no, no better. So they're not there. And so, or they're, they're on their way out and you're not getting the good light anyway, at least, um, that late, uh, pure sunlight coming through clouds. But so I started figuring out that the goats tend to hang out when it's that nicer weather. So I've been, um, I sort of, I target, I started targeting days that just like that where, oh yeah, this looks like it'll be a good evening. If nothing else, you'll get a good sunset out of it. Um, but if the goats are there, you'll get them with the sunset. So I had been up a few times, tried a couple of times, um, got some decent shots, did the sun star thing because the sun's so low and you can line yourself up maybe, you know, um, hundred feet back or so and get a nice sun star coming up right over the goat or the mountainside and things like that. So I think I have, I've gotten shots like that. And, um, um, with this shot, um, I realized that the goats were in the right positions. Like, oh yeah, they're, the sun's behind them. I'm looking for this backlight sort of shot for sure. Um, and that's sort of another thing that I changed up a little bit more is, um, really trying to get the backlight, um, shot going with the rim light around a mountain goat because the mountain goat's fairly white. So it's got this really great rim light that goes all the way around it. And then the, in the, the body of the goat is light enough that it retains detail fairly well. It's not like a, like a bear where it would just go dark, completely black, and you lose a lot of detail in the image. So since the goat's so white, it does retain some good detail there. So it, it's like a situation that's just made for a, a backlit situation with the setting sun. So with that shot, I, you know, I was shooting, I was um, around those goats um, most of the evening and uh, there's little ones around. And then these three um, adults just basically lined up and gave me, I got one frame and that's the one I got there of them all with their heads up. Cause they're always either eating and you know how that is. One of them's eating or they're all eating, um, looking the wrong way, doing something different. So I got one shot with, with all of them looking up, looking relatively the same direction. And um, I lined the sun up right behind one of them. So it kind of makes it look like that furthest one back is kind of glowing. I didn't do the sun star thing. So I just kind of lined them up and blocked the sun. So I wouldn't uh, be a, a distraction in this image um, with, a, with a pure sun in there or a sun star. So it's just basically this great lim rim light around all three of those goats. And, um, I, when I took it, it's like, I was hoping I got the instant when they were all looking. So you'd never really know for sure until you, until you check them out. Um, so as soon as I took it, they were for sure enough, one started looking away or started walking away or, um, those goats will actually start walking toward you. They're really, they're really not too afraid of people. Like in a lot of places, goats are like that. Um, so, uh, it's a constant thing just to stay far enough away to get a, a decent, uh, a shot of them without interacting with people. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of the, sort of the story behind that. So, um, I've been up a couple times since a few times since that evening, um, trying to, you know, you know, you never can really reproduce the same shot, but, uh, to get some similar sort of things. And I have, but not like that. 
I've gotten some other ones with some different in a little bit different environment, uh, still the backlit, um, but not with three of them sort of standing there kind of uh, in a kind of iconic fashion there looking off. So um, but I'll still keep trying again. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the main backstory behind that. That's one of those images that I don't think video would have had the same impact because like you say, there, there's always one feeding and one watching and the other one might be kind of milling around looking for its next bite. But that just single instant that you captured, man, that is, that's phenomenal. I, I would venture to guess as many followers as you have, I bet there's that many people thinking about when they're going to go up and try to recreate that shot because it's, <laughs> it's that powerful. It's one of those that everybody is like, man, I wish I would have taken that. Yeah, like go to their local go place and take that picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. They might be farm goats, but you know, we'll get it. <laughs> and you could probably, I mean, you could do that with other animals too. You could, uh, you know, with absolutely. With yeah. Other, bet. other, various antelope and things so it's it's kind of all dependent on how that sun's setting the right amount of clouds that are um all that evening the sun would go behind a cloud and it would be you know no no light the sun would creep out behind that little thin cloud and it would be a perfect nice um focused light um especially when half when the cloud is blocking half the sun you get a little bit of sun star there yeah. so you have a lot of chances as that sun's coming down going in and out of those clouds all the way to the all the way to the bottom um where the mountains start um so those are those are good nights when you see that coming ahead and you just gotta find make sure you find your your animal or foreground or whatever to look for and hopefully it's a, a three goats all looking the same direction for you um that you can catch there at right at that right moment. That's the big takeaway for me, for people is you've got to see it ahead of time. It's, it's rare that you're going to luck into something like that. You certainly could, but you've got to see it ahead of time and, and kind of get yourself lined up and in position where if it happens, it's going to be epic. And that one out of a million times, it was, it was definitely an epic shot. And the other thing is people need to understand how many of those variables could have gone the other way. You have a, you know, you had cloudy sky and if a cloud comes up in the wrong spot, totally blocks the sun. You don't get, you don't get the pink sky or sometimes you don't get the pink sky until after the sun goes down and then you've, you're shooting a silhouette, you know, because you don't have enough light to, to keep light on the goats. But yeah, there's so many variables there that could have, not yeah, allowed exactly. that shot to happen, but man alive. Yeah. It. Even if, even if I wasn't, um, I was fortunate to have the goats a little bit above me as well. Um, so it, uh, I don't want to be looking down on them for a shot like that. Um, and straight across is nice looking up, looking up a little bit is fine too. Um, and fortunately they're in a position there where they did sort of, um, line up with the sun pretty well and the hill slope mm -hmm. behind it. And so it was kind of like, um, I was in, like you said, kind of in the right spot and those variables kind of lined up. And the, basically it is, it is to some degree, it's chance um, and luck, but you try to got to make your luck happen too. So it's not yeah. like you're just going to walk out there and do it. Um, you got to make that luck come together and give it the best chance to come together uh, for those variables to line up, like you said. Yeah. What I'm trying to think of a, a, this friend of my dad's was a, a coach and he always used to say, where preparation and perspiration meet, a person will get lucky <laughs> because you've you've done the you've done the work to be prepared, and you've you're in the right spot at the right time. So right or exactly. luck, is, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or perspiration. <laughs> <laughs> and the one that the one that I always like to say is whenever I do a talk, it's you know where great light meets a a willing subject it's the photographer's obligation to immortalize the moment and that shot epitomizes that statement to me so Thanks. well done i can't can't give you enough props on that and you know i've seen you know especially velvet elk because you've got you know you've got the 
regalness yes. of the antler, but they yes. still have the velvet, which catches a little bit more of that rim light. Right. And I've seen some great shots of, of velvet bulls um, with backlight like that. But that white fur of those mountain goats just caught that orange sky, that fire, fire orange sky. Yeah, and, it just uh, sets it off, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It does. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I can so. see that coming and going when that sun's moving around and um, I'm moving around to try to stay back so I can use my 500 millimeter lens or maybe a little shorter lens, depending if I'm dealing with a lot of rocks in front of me and that sort of thing. But um, to be able to catch all three of them like that in my in my view. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great example of uh, for seeing the shot and, you know, making that shot happen and putting yourself in the right position for the opportunity for it to happen. And we talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. but you know, the way that sun was, I'm sure there were probably goats behind you and in other areas where the light was hitting them directly. And you may have been missing other opportunities to get that shot. You know what I mean? Yep, so exactly. It's a good example of, of knowing what you want and sacrificing to, to have the opportunity to get that shot. So, yeah, there's yeah. usually a pretty good herd of goats where I go up there and, they're fairly accustomed to people. Um, um, and so, and then the little ones are real fun to see too. And so you kind of have to, if there's little ones behind you, um, it's the tempting to just take pictures of the little baby goats cause they're, you know, cute mm-hmm. and um, they're nice, but they're in the wrong angle of light that I was trying to get. So, and they weren't, um, they were either down on a little lo- a low spot or something like that where I couldn't get low enough to catch the sun on them. So with these goats, that I got were up a little bit higher so they could catch that sun. Um, and they weren't down in, in a bowl or something like that. And they were on the right side of me. Yeah. You had a great summer with the goats. Yeah. It was a good one. There was a lot of good shots, but that one is, yeah, that's like, to me, that's like the mountain goat equivalent of Jason's Jason and Harlan's elk shot. That elk shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about so, that. I think Peter's is Peter's is better, but uh, it's a it's a great shot. So let's uh let's kind of move forward. And you so we put this off until today for a reason, right? You had to you had to wait. You were bound by confidentiality. You had to wait before you could make an announcement. So go ahead and and make it for everyone listening. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me put it off. And sorry, I couldn't. Uh, tell you why but you trusted me so i appreciate that ron (laughs) and you didn't cry or anything so um yeah it was fun to keep it's hard to keep a secret oh my gosh and as you probably know on uh, some of your work that you've done and um but you do it and it it pays off in the end when everyone kind of learns of of your success all the same day it's in, in the official announcement so it's a lot of fun that way um but today um, earlier today, uh, the the um, the Bird Photographer of the Year award was being announced. All the winners were being announced for all the categories and the uh, and the grand prize winner. And um, it it uh, they uh, they had the announcement in Bristol, England. And so I couldn't go there because I've got trips back. Uh, uh, I'm taking a trip next week to Alaska, so I just can't get um, go to England back and forth. Um, and and make that trip to Alaska. So uh, they they at least let me uh, do a video. And so um, what the, what it was is was I have a, a sage grouse image that I submitted to the contest um, uh, last earlier in the year, and uh, it was selected for the the gold medal award for the bird behavior category in the whole contest. So it, it didn't win um, the grand prize, uh, the best of show or anything like that. Um, but I was really proud to have it win the the behavior category, which I think is a really hard category to uh, to win because a lot of the entries uh, are, are bird behavior type entries for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really excited to hear about that. And they made the announcement today, and I watched it live stream, and uh, it was pretty pretty exciting. And uh, to see all the work of everybody else as well was really amazing. Um, all the other different categories and the runners up. Um, it was really, I was pretty glued to the screen through the whole time to watch these other categories. And then, um, so it was fun when they got to, uh, my category announced mine. So they had a, 
a little uh, a video of me, a uh, thirty-second uh, video that they played for the group there in in England on um, my an acceptance little speech I made. So you can watch it on the video, and we'll put it, I'll give it to you, Ron, so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, you did you did already, and okay, at, if you go to the fifty-six minute mark, yeah, that's where the, I'm at. The behavior award, and the, <laughs> there's Peter, but there's a lot of other you know there's a lot of other work obviously um, sprinkled in there as well. But we will put the link link to that whole announcement or that whole ceremony uh, into the show notes, so you guys can go back and and take a look at some of the work and and again at Peter's and that one. You know, Jason does a lot of of sage grouse. I do a lot of sage grouse or grouse, all kinds of grouse. But um, that was a great shot, and I think you know it's one of those talk, again talking about opportunity. So. Go ahead and describe the shot first. Yeah, it's a shot of um, uh, it's it's normally you get a shot of of, a, of the male sage grouse doing their display where they're um, they they fill up their air sacs on their chest and have this big air sac and then they they let out this booming noise that's developed through inflating and deflating their air sac. So um, that's a simple way to describe it. Um, so that's nor- the normal shot, and you can get a lot of good images like that. But um, as you can imagine, with a bunch of male sage grouse all standing around um, on their breeding grounds trying to attract the females, that they get into these scuffles once in a while. So um, that's what this shot was, is you never know when they're going to happen. All of a sudden, they just erupt, and, and two grouse will be eyeballing each other, and then in a split second later, they're, 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 um, they're fighting each other, basically, or sparring at each other. Um, so this shot was one of those where that did happen, and half the time you can't get them both in focus because um, it's usually pretty dark, so you're shooting wide open or something like that. Um, uh, even even with a high ISO or something, so you're you're hoping that you get as much in focus as you can, um, and so you try to um, get a better aperture for that as best you can. Um, and so a lot of my shots like that tend to be parts of it will be blurry or something like that. But this one worked out. I was able to get. A, a nice head-on shot of one of the other one bird trying to uh, basically come and add another bird and the other bird uh, crouched down trying to d- defend itself so they're um they're fighting for spots on on the the breeding ground or it's called a lek l-e-k um so they're fighting for the best spot on that little piece of land which could be just by a little piece of shrub or something like that a little piece of sage um so and um on that on that day, I really like to go when there is snow. So it, um, and it was I think that morning was a couple inches of snow, or it was it was fairly fresh snow, and uh, so that really cleans up the background in in the sagebrush country for for, for the photography. Um, if you, where I shoot, there's a lot of sage background, so it can backgrounds can be messy. Um, you try to set up so you uh, minimize as much as that as you can. Um, but for this shot, it's I set the blind up a day or two in advance. Um, it's a small um, a small blind where you lay down in it, and um, you can't stand up. It's it's one of those small ones, and you just look out the front, and you basically lay it on your stomach in this thing, and it's just laying like two or three feet high, and um, that's how I do it anyway. So you set it up, let the grouse get used to it a little bit. Um, they don't ever seem to mind it too much. Um, cause they come right up to it. And then in the middle of the night, the night before you go in, you take the picture, you go in there in the middle of the night, at least a couple hours before hour, yeah, probably a couple hours before sunrise, at least well before first light. Um, if there's grouse there already, sometimes you can sort of slide right in there and they don't even care. Um, if they do see you come in, um, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, they come right back in about five minutes or so. So then they don't even know you're in there. Um, so then you just lay in there for a couple hours and they don't know you're in there. And um, once the, the first light comes up, you start taking pictures. And um, and when the fighting starts, like in this shot, you kind of hope you, 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 you might get some nice blurred effect shots like that when there's low light. But um, when there's a little more light, you're going to be able to stop some of them more, stop the action a little better like I did in this shot. And I was able to stop it pretty good and um, got it pretty sharp um, and uh, not a lot of uh, distracting things around where they were fighting and um, it turned out pretty good and so um, yeah so that's the gist of that and then I, I usually stay there for a couple days for a long weekend two or three days just leave the blind up and then my last morning I 
let the grouse leave and they're all done. They all dissipate and, and walk off into the sage or fly away. And then it's time for me to leave. So that's kind of the general, general way of those, that sort of thing works for my grouse. I'm sure you guys have both similar experiences, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but you might, sure. you but, might use different, different camouflage probably, huh? <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, yeah. sometimes in a blind, sometimes just in a ghillie suit, if I'm by myself, I'll just use ghillie. But if it's a situation where I'm with someone else, I use a blind because inevitably someone will move when they shouldn't. And it's, <laughs> you know, it takes a while to, to be able to read the behavior of, of grouse. And it's not like you can't have any movement, but you've got to recognize some keys. You know, as soon as that air, air sac deflates, you're just about to be done. And so if you don't hold still and, and maintain that, they're going to be gone. If you, right. you know, if you're not in a blind situation. So it's, it's some of those cues that people don't pick up on. And if you're just in a ghillie suit and somebody just continues to move, it's the morning's going to be over. Because mm -hmm. like you alluded to, you know, before daylight, if you bump them a little bit, they'll come back and usually they just walk off. They don't fly off. Right. They just walk away a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't After know daylight, what, if you spook yeah. them good, they, they'll stay gone yeah, a they're lot done. of times. So, yeah. Yep. And the, you know, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, you just kind of blew by that one thing and it's Ron and I have done quite a bit of the sage grouse. Ron way more than me, but the experiences I've had. It's not an easy thing to go lay, especially lay in that little blind where you can't really move a lot. You don't have a ton of room to move. And I know with the snow on the ground, it was not warm. And that is not an easy thing to do. Is you, Those are some pretty miserable hours of waiting. Yeah. I know they are because I've been there. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. They you are. Definitely <laughs> you definitely sacrifice quite a bit for those kind of shots. But. You pay for it, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. And if you've been taking yeah. pictures the whole time, you don't want to miss anything. So you're sort of just in one position and you're not loosening up rolling around in there. Cause you want to be quiet. So you're not rolling around in your blind and you're just on your stomach. And uh, I've, I've found some ways to help me. Like I put a, a pillow under me or some way to prop me up a little better. So I'm hour through three yeah. or four, I'm not completely done. And then once I'm <laughs> yeah. ready to, once you're ready to get out, when the last grouse leaves and it's safe to kind of show yourself, you just kind of roll out of the thing and <laughs> open up the side <laughs> flap and you roll out and you're just like on your back. <laughs> let, your, yeah. Yeah. let your legs wake up. Right. Oh my gosh. Your toes are usually frozen by then for sure. Yeah. But I, I yep. use one of, one of Mike's pro tips once where you put the, the, um, the hand warmer or the toe warmer hand inside warmer there, you know, in your, between yep, the, inside the boot. sock and the boot. Yeah. It works. It works. They work, <laughs> they work really well. Yes, it works they do. for that. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. But, but um, yeah, that's the life of being in those blinds, but um, it's worth it. And you pick it up and go and come back the next weekend or so. So it's, it's all good. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're like you, like you said, so that shot, Depending on your distance, of course, you, there's a balance between your aperture, your depth of field, and then trying to keep that background clean. Yes, so a lot of exactly. times, if it's a single bird, obviously you shoot wide open, depending yeah. on your distance from the from the subject. But if once you get two of them, you're you go from you know f four or f two point eight, depending on your lens, to now you're shooting at about f eight, so you can keep both of them. And so right. there's a, there's that balancing act. So you can, you can maintain that cleanliness. And one thing I wanted to point out and you, you talked about or mentioned it, we kind of glazed over that as well is the snow cleaning things up because in those contests, especially those international contests, you can't go in and remove distracting. No, objects yeah, you can't anything. do anything they, like that. They look right. at your raw file and compare it to the, the final product. And if you've done any of that alteration, it's just out. So this is a, a true photograph contest um, right? because it's, it's the image that you captured. So you've got to think about all those things ahead of time. You know, when you're even before, when you're setting your blind up is, you know, exactly where you want to be, how you're going to get eye level, where's the, the cleanest background is going to be on the lek. And then where do you want the light? 
And exactly. all those things have to go into your decision making. Yeah, and that I started going to this one lek um, just last couple of years. And there's another one I used to go to all the time. And they both have different characteristics for the light and then where the birds are going to be, how far they're going to be from you. Um, this one here, I'm kind of closer to some mountains. So it's um, sun comes up a little later than I would like. So it's not the greatest one compared to my other lek where I go to where you catch that very first early light and get things mm -hmm. glowing, backlit front lit kind of depends what side of the, of the area that the, the birds are on um, but this one is I can get a little bit closer and uh, try to eliminate some some background um, uh, it's got a clean it's got a cleaner background immediately until you get it goes across a pretty clean land before it uh, you start seeing sage again and by then a lot of that's kind of blurred out so um, um, but you're right it's a balancing act to how much uh, how much depth of field do you want? And then you're going to start bringing in the, some distractions that way and versus keeping yeah. a nice, uh, nice blur background. Of course, if it's more of an environmental shot, you're, it's okay when you're doing that. And I do that a lot from there as well. I'll, I'll flip on if the, if the grouse are getting close, like within 10 feet of the blind, maybe I'll put on a wide angle lens and try to see if I can get some nice, that's still something I, I was probably going to be my goal for the next time to try to get some of those wide angle, um, uh, uh, sort of a landscape shots with the grouse in them, um, clearly in them with a lot of distractions around the grouse and the grouse prominent in the frame, but then you can see a nice broad background that's fairly in focus. I think those are, you know, those are sort of the, some of those classic shots and see what I can do from that and maybe add my own twist to it somehow and make it a little different. Put this in your back pocket too. Because, you know, right outside the blind is a good place to, you know, especially if you're getting them that close or you know, behind a, so you've got brush between you and the lek. So put it on the, the lek side of the, of the brush. So it doesn't end up in your images, but we just learned last night about some third party software for GoPro that basically oh, turns it okay. into a camera trap. And, um, so it'll, it'll go on the motion. So if they come close, get close enough to the unit, it'll kick on and, and start recording video. So you'll have to listen to that podcast. We, we caught up with Mike um, after he returned from the latest bear trip. And he was telling us about that. They used it okay. actually when they were, they were on a filming project uh, with some Arctic Fox. So it's, it's definitely something we'll get you the information on the software. It'll be in the show notes of that other podcast. Okay. But we'll look for that. We'll, we'll get that for you. And, I, I, that's going to be a game changer for me. I'm going to have cameras all over the place. So. <laughs> <laughs> GoPros everywhere. <laughs> but I've got it. Yeah. You got to work on keeping them out of your other shots, but yeah, it, that's a, that's a game changer. Either that, or, you know, a lot of times when you're setting these things up, you're going to have to be out there at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then just go back and take a nap at the, at the truck. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because you've got you've got your cameras doing the work while you're. While oh, you're there you go. You don't even have to be there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that takes so, the fun out of it. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> but but yeah, that that's going to be a game changer, and I, I think that would be a good tool for you as well. If you throw one of those in the bag. I've tried to put a, a, an older um, DSLR out there with a wide angle lens and have a real long cord and try to click it when they're mm -hmm. walking by or something. And I, you can't really see very well from where I can, so it's hard to tell. I never got anything off of that, but I'm, I'm sure you can. It's just basically like a remote camera. Um, but, um, and you click it when they're walking by, but it, it seems like it hasn't worked for me yet, but I'll figure some of that stuff out for sure. After, try. after we're done recording, I'll, tell you one trick there too okay okay but i'm not going to make it public until i until i get it mastered <laughs> okay <laughs> that'll be a future pro tip you guys yeah, yeah it'll be, be a future, future pro, pro tip, tip so. <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> the big thing with that shot that you got the other obstacle is you've got a, a lot of birds on the lek and i don't know how many birds are on the lek that you're that you're going to there's probably maybe adults at the most a dozen kind yeah. of right around in front of you basically some scattered yeah, off so you're kind of working with at least six to a dozen something like that 
Yeah. There's not a ton, but you're looking at several subjects. And yes, exactly. Inevitably, when these fights happen, the only way you know they happen is you hear them because you're looking at something else or you've got the camera focused on something else. So how did you pick up on the cues between these two males that kind of had you you ready for that? Since I had been there, it's one of those things where it, when you go enough, you do kind of pick up on those cues and then you've, you've already got your other shots out of the way. So you have your, the classic, um, uh, breeding display shots and you got some different ones. And so you, you're, you're not, you kind of have those done. <laughs> so you kind of feel like, oh, I'll, I'll take some time and take some risks and missing some shots to, to look at the a possibility of, of a couple of grouse that are going to get active like that. So, um, what they do is the grouse, they, if two grouse are sort of thinking about sparring, often they'll line up next to each other sort of opposite. So like one's looking at the other like this and they're looking, they're looking in at each other through one eyeball maybe and they're kind of growling at each other a little bit or whatever. a low purr I guess is what it is. And you can kind of hear that. I'm yeah. Shuddering or something. I'm sure you guys have heard that. So, but they can do that for 10, 20 minutes at each other and they'll just sit in that position. And you're like, okay, how long can I hold the camera on these two grouse? I'm missing all this other activity. And so, and sure enough, when, you know, when you turn away and go to another one, they all of a sudden will start fighting and it's too late. So, I think on this yeah. one, I had been to this spot enough that I, okay, I think I dedicated that morning to trying to get more out of the action shots. So I would stick on one or a pair of grouse that I thought were going to um, get after it there. Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and they did. I, if, if I would have had to swing the camera over to them, they usually stop fighting by then. Occasionally they'll keep fighting for maybe up to 10 seconds, maybe, I don't know, five seconds, mm-hmm. not very long. Um, they do draw some blood once in a while and they hurt each other. So usually one backs off pretty quick and then they, they rest and go at it again later. So a lot of times it's, there's usually one troublemaker out there that's walking around causing trouble. So you kind of follow him around <laughs> and see what he's doing or, and the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Or a young one that everything else is picking yeah. on. Right. That too. Well, a young one will just be walking yep. through there and they'll just all pick on them, <laughs> chase them out. So you yep. can kind of see which ones are kind of maybe develop, get the most action. It's usually the troublemakers or the young ones. <laughs> so the, the drawing blood is actually the first time that I noticed Jason's work because it was, uh, I don't remember. It, it must've been three, four, four or five years ago. I think it was four years ago. Four yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason posted a shot of of this fight. It wasn't really the fight sequence as much as the aftermath, uh, but one one grouse got beat up pretty good. And I'm not pretty sure bad. his bellow didn't get, didn't get torn, but he had shots of him on the ground, and then he had a shot of him in flight, you know, bloodied up, kind of the retreat shot. Yeah. And that was the, <laughs> the first time I really noticed Jason's work. And then, of course, you know, we kind of developed a friendship well beyond that, you know, a year, year beyond that or so. Okay. Um, but it's those are the those are the kind of things that you spend enough time out there. You've got some commonality and mm-hmm. and, you know, the other thing, Peter, that I think we've glossed over a little bit is a lot of this is done on your own. It's not like you're going out on tours all the time. I mean, obviously, Africa, you've got to have guides and that kind of stuff. But a lot of this stuff is work and research that you're putting in, putting the time in on your own. And even when I see you, you know, in in a park somewhere, it's we we visit and then both go about our day and then we'll run into each other somewhere else and that kind of thing. So exactly. Yeah. A lot of you're doing is. Mm hmm. It's on your own. Yeah. Um, yep. All the research that's, you know, you take just even more time mm-hmm. trying to figure out the research about the animal, where they're at, um, um, how to, uh, where, where they're doing their unique behaviors, where's good places. That's good backgrounds, good places to take pictures. And then you set it all up and try to make, bring all those things together and then just taking the yep. pictures. Yeah. Just like you all, I'm, I, I'm on my own or with a, with a friend or two, um, that we're teaming mm-hmm. up on things. Um, that's, that's pretty common as well. Um, 
and then um, either we're camping out our own or we're doing something like that up all night stuff uh, to, like um, like Jason's amazing trips from your house, Jason, to Yellowstone and back in one day or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> crazy, 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 crazy yeah. trip. Kamikaze, kamikaze mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that crazy on that, on that, but, um, but yeah, it's all on your own. And um, so it is a luxury when you, when you do have a guide, when you'll need a guide for certain things like um, brown bears right. in Alaska, you need guides. That's the best way to go, both for you and the safety of the animal and, you know, just um, keeping keeping you, uh, keeping the animal doing its own thing. And then Africa, you're usually with a guide, but not always. We signed up where uh, some friends and I are going to um, so South Africa and Botswana in that, I'm going to butcher the name, Kalagadi uh trans frontier park um halakati i forget something like that it's down there in sort of southern botswana in the kalahari desert and there's a park that straddles both um that straddles both countries and i've never been down in that area <laughs> can hardly pronounce it um but my friend he's he used grew he used to live in south africa he's in england now and he's going to set us up with some uh, vehicles and um we're gonna we're not going to camp um, we're going to just stay in lodges in this one. And so it's going to be uh, three, four or five of us. However, we end up getting uh, for this final trip, um, our final count for this trip next June. So we'll be down there for about a, uh, a couple of weeks doing a self-drive. So we won't have guides. But in this, mm -hmm. this park, it's you stay on the roads and people talk to each other about where the animal sightings are and um you just go out and look for animals and exploring on your own so you don't have the luxury of having a guide who will know where all these animals are especially a photographic guide will know how to set you up for great shots and where to go for the best shots that morning and all that so we'll be missing that but we'll be learning things on our own so we kind of gain in that in that department something to be said for having those uh do-it-yourself adventures. Right, right. You got to do that once in a while when you can. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think you learn a lot more on some of those trips, you know. It's, they can be frustrating, and they may not be quite as rewarding in one way, but they're more rewarding in other ways, you know. So. Right, right. Yep. Exactly. So now you and, so. Your, you and your bride have an adventure. Well, she does. She's got a big one. She's so got a big one. a little one. bit yeah. of a shout out. Yeah, she's um, she's uh, uh, taken a she's gone to Madagascar for a couple of years. She's going to be teaching English with the Peace Corps. I mean, even though we're we're not the no traditional Peace Corps age, she's going to give it a try. And so she just went down there um, a couple of weeks ago, um, and she's uh, they're in their initial training now, and she's going to be um, located in a, with a family for the first three months while they learn the language and learn the the culture. And then after that, uh, located further out in a, in a village somewhere to actually teach English to, to the Malagasy. And they, they, they know, some know French and they all speak the, the, their language, which is Malagasy. So um, I hope to get down there at least a couple of times um, to, uh, while she's there. She won't be allowed to come home, so I'll have to go down there. Darn! So I'll be uh, <laughs> right <laughs> visiting the lemurs and the the birds, yeah. the reptiles, everything down there. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know a lot of people do tours down there, and I don't know if she'll have it figured out where we could do our own thing, or if um, she'll take some time off with me and we'll sign up for a tour with a guide, um, at least a driver to get us out to the parks or something like that. Um, so we'll see. She's got a lot of work to do to get to that point. And it's, she says it's, it's definitely different now down there now than, than, than home, but, um, mm -hmm. trying to learn the language and work with all the people and, uh, get through all that. So, um, fingers are crossed. She'll, she'll, uh, come through the training period and get, um, get put into the country and, uh, start working down there soon. I wasn't on the podcast, but when you guys had the interview with the the waterfowl of the world i think there was one species one of the tougher species to get i think was in madagascar was it i not? heard that podcast too yeah i think so i think it was i can't remember which one it was but yes and i think he it said was. it was just because they were they were so spooky because they're they're hunted for ornamental reasons for you know the 
the native people there. The feathers and, so and stuff, the, yeah. Yeah, the feathers that make up the headdresses and that kind of thing. Was that when he sat on the river? Yeah. And finally got the shots he was looking for, but it took him got multiple shots. Oh, yeah. I, re- I remember that story. I want to go back yeah. and listen to that before I go down yeah. there. Yeah, you better, yeah. because yeah, that might yeah, be definitely. A, a good challenge for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you can reach out to Gary and say, wow, yeah. man, I'm really impressed with those shots now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fun. But good for her. That's exciting. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's going to be a challenge. Um, but uh, she's usually up for a challenge, so we'll see how it goes. Well, fantastic. I can't wait to run into you again in the field, Peter. And it won't won't probably be too long because things are about to get active for, yep, exactly. for the fall. It's, we're taking a temperature plunge overnight tonight, and I cannot wait. I'm so yeah, ready for it. It's, <laughs> and the, yeah. the smoke that we've had, I know people in Idaho are – are ready for it right now as well. They need to get some cooler, wetter weather because yeah, some it's too much. Pretty severe fires going on over there. Yeah, if it doesn't turn around quick, it's going to disrupt our fall activities, yeah. isn't yeah. it? We need, we need this yeah, cool down. Sure. Yeah, we have one coming too, so it's coming tonight or tomorrow. Finally, nine upper nineties yeah. every day this this past over the last six seven days. It's been rough. <laughs> Yep. Which is one of the reasons I was getting out to see the mountain goats. Where I shoot shoot them is thirteen, mm-hmm. fourteen thousand feet. So it's weird. Right. You're so getting your car with yeah. you're getting your car with shorts on, and when you got to change and bring all this warm clothes when you get up there because it's maybe forty <laughs> degrees. <laughs> so it's halfway up the mountain, Perfect. you're like, oh my gosh, I got to put some more clothes on. You hope you didn't forget everything. <laughs> I had a friend of mine one time. He wanted to go photograph sage grouse, and he's a He's a portrait photographer. He does sports and portrait photography. And I told him, you know, I'll meet you, meet you at 3.30 in the morning at this, you know, this town directly in between us. And I got there and he had sweatpants on and tennis <laughs> shoes and a, and a sweatshirt. And I Uh-oh. said, you brought a coat, didn't you? No, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'm from, no, I'm you from, Colorado. I'm from Colorado. Uh-oh. I'll be all right. And so... We got up there and about 15 minutes into, you know, why it was, why aren't we waiting in the car? Because <laughs> there was, you know, I'm like you, I like to photograph sage grouse in the snow because it, it, you know, not only cleans up the backgrounds, but it makes all those pin feathers in the tail mm-hmm. just stand out and pop, you know? Yeah. And so we were out in the snow, his feet were popsicles. <laughs> I mean, but. I, I told him, I said, we're going out and we're not coming back. So you've got to, you got to buck up little camper because it's, it's going to be cold. <laughs> and I, I had a jacket, but it was a lighter jacket that I had given him, but that wasn't nearly enough for my, enough. the way he, he was en- dressed. <laughs> he had to endure. I guess he was pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. He survived it. <laughs> he hasn't come back. I can tell you Uh-oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like a, my wife always worries about the kids when we go out and do stuff in the outdoors and uh, their whole lives, you know, they're all growing up now, but their whole lives I've always, I tell them, I explain to them and then they've got to learn. And yeah. sometimes they learn the hard way, you know, but it only takes them one time. And then they, yeah. it's amazing how well they listen after that. So <laughs> <laughs> he just needed to learn, but his, unfortunately for him, he just decided not to ever go again. But <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, Peter, thank you very much for taking the time. And I'm glad that we could kind of share in your day. Um, yeah. I well, mean to intrude you. in the, in the excitement of the day, but I, I was pretty pleased when you finally were able to send me the, the message and let me know what it was we were waiting for. Wait for it. Yeah. Well, for thanks you. for That's waiting. That's a big deal. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for waiting and delaying. And uh, we were able to, like, I just thought it would be a good day to try to talk about that stuff. So, so they made the announcement yeah. this morning. Yeah. I figured it was something similar, but yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask too many questions. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for you and, and congratulations sincerely. That's thanks. a, that's a big, big deal. I think, well, I think in your post, 
uh, there were over 220,000 entrants. Yeah, so they, they mentioned selected. that in the talk. If you listen to that, there's, yeah, yeah that, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, and then, so they have quite a few judges and they are pretty renowned judges. And um, mm -hmm. so it's, they have a lot of work to do when they're looking through those photographs and trying to pick out the top few. So to stand out in that crowd, I think oh my uh, speaks, yeah. <laughs> speaks volumes about the quality of your work. And oh, thanks. People won't have to look too far. And speaking of, um, why don't you go ahead and throw out your Instagram handle so people can oh, it, check it it's, out. It's just at Peter Ismert. That's it. Um, and Ismert is it, spelled I-S-M-E-R-T. Oh, I-S-M-E-R-T. Yep. It's, it's just okay. uh, straight up like that. Yeah. No, uh, I don't have anything. Um, and do you have a website or? Yeah, I do have a website. Yeah, it is at Peter Ismer with no space. I do have a website. It's on my Instagram account, so it's in, in my bio, but it's just peterismer.zenfolio.com. And so you can just Google my name, Peter, Peter Ismer. There's not too many of us, and you'll get all yeah. my sites. So I have a Facebook uh, a website that I kind of keep updated, um, but um, I haven't put this picture up yet because I didn't want to clue anyone in on, on, on it until uh, – Sure until it was announced today, but yeah, I don't think it's on there. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then just my Instagram, that's kind of my best, best places to see my work. Well, thank you. And, uh, thank you all for listening to another episode of wild and exposed. You've been listening to the wild and exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way